They were there this morning, John. Praise God. Come here. How do you find them? Office. Word of God. Dropbox. Bear with me. They're here. Pulling back the curtain. That's here. I saw it this morning. Here we go. Power from on high. Notes. Praise the Lord. They're there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We just rest in you. I sense in this place this morning a sleepiness. And I don't know whether it's because of where in me or it's because of the, the, the climate we've been in lately or whether it's a spiritual thing. But Father, our eyes need to be sensitive and open this morning. Our ears need to be sensitive and open and our hearts especially need to be open to the things that you want to share with us and that you want to deposit in us and that you want to do in us. And so I take authority right now in the name of Jesus over any spirits or anything that would in any way try to hinder the work of God this morning. And we just release the Holy Spirit and authorize Him and ask Him and plead Him to move in this place, to do what He wants to do in our personal lives and in this place. And we just thank You. We trust the Holy Spirit to take the words that You have sown into my heart and are in this Word and to breathe on them the breath of life, that they may be breathed into our hearts and deposited as living words. For your words are spirit and they are life. And we pray today, Father, we just surrender ourselves to you and we trust the precious Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what he desires to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we spent a number of weeks now talking about pulling back the curtain. And what we meant by that is the curtain represents a veil. The Bible uses the term veil, which separates the life that we are familiar with, which is this real natural life, the one we spend almost all our time thinking about, involved in. It is a physical life. It's whatever our natural senses can detect and whatever you're experiencing. It's your, what you consider your life. But we've discovered, which we already know, that there's another level of life that's beyond that. And it's called the spirit realm, the spirit life. It's where God lives. It's what God is. And that is, that is blind to your senses. Your five natural senses cannot see what's going on in that realm unless God does something supernatural. But the Bible is, teaches us is a process as we integrate the Word of God into us of what we, I call in this series pulling back the curtain, which is allowing us to look behind the curtain at what God has provided for us there. And I'm not going to go back over all of that. We've really come, brought that to, a, to an end. Not have finished it, but we brought it to an end. But what I want to begin to talk about today is, 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 is taking it to another level. It's discovering that, the, that, 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 that life that's behind that curtain. The Bible calls it eternal life. Eternal life does not refer to how long you live because the real you is going to live forever somewhere. Eternal life is the level of the quality of life that you live. It is life at the level that God lives it. And He is absolute life. And so we began talking about Jesus came to this earth. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. So He is this life that's wearing human flesh that's come among us to live among us. 
And we've seen that, that he, he lived among us and then he chose 12 disciples, he chose 70 more, and then there was a larger calling. And, and he began to bring them along this process of introducing them to this life. Uh, Gordon Udall has been doing a series and he's going to do it again this Wednesday called The Kingdom of God. And it's a wonderful series talking about what this kingdom is and how you get in touch with this kingdom. But this whole lesson is to teach us that for Christians that kingdom is in you now. Jesus said it this word. My father said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Well, it's here in you if Christ is your Lord, if you've given your life to him. But it's not, he's resident in you but he's not having a whole lot of effect because the world would be different if the Spirit of God, if the Kingdom of God were operating what he wanted to do through us and especially through us together because there's no lack of need in this world. We were meeting with somebody yesterday, a place we go to breakfast regularly and you could just tell as he talked to us, he, he knows who we are and what, what I do, what we do. And he just said, you know, pray for me. He said, this is just so hard. And I said, are you talking about your, how hard it is financially to run around? No, I'm not even talking about that. It's just life is so hard. And he said, I have a concern for the younger people because it's even harder on them because there's so much more coming at them. And we have the answer. It's nothing, it's nothing that we have because we've earned it. It's some, we have the answer living in us. So we're, gonna, we're looking at this process Jesus brought his disciples through. And the last time we talked about this, because we had a baptism service, then we had Tony Cook, and before that we had a teaching on baptism. So we're going back almost a month. So that's why I'm spending a little time to kind of get you to get in the flow with me again. And, and, and Jesus was, in, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is preparing the disciples for a huge change that's about to take place in their lives. Because up until this point, since they met him, they have been living with the kingdom of God in him. They've seen the kingdom of God in him overcome every obstacle that came against them. They've been in storms with him on the sea. And whereas they, professional sailors and fishermen, became afraid because they believed they were sinking, they saw this carpenter not only not be afraid, but be asleep. And when they woke him up, he spoke to the storm. The storm didn't overcome them. He spoke to the storm, and the storm obeyed his voice. The kingdom of God has authority in this world. They saw people come against him and try to throw him off a cliff because it wasn't the right time, and he just walked peacefully through them. They saw the religious authorities come to him and try to confound him with, with, with tricking him and catching him, and they saw him, when they leave, the religious authorities were all confused because they were living in confusion because they could not move the kingdom of God that was in the Son of God. And that gave these disciples a measure of peace that gave these disciples a measure of security. Because where you and I have to pray by faith, they just reached out and touched Him. They opened their eyes in the morning, and they were in the presence of the Lord. They didn't have to do anything special. They lived in the presence of the Lord, the kingdom of God. But now that's about to change. Because, and I'm glad it changed, because if it hadn't changed, you and I are all going to hell. Because the change was needed 
And what was about to happen is Jesus is about to leave and turn this whole thing over to these 12 disciples, one of whom was a traitor. And the other 11 were confused, scared, and really didn't believe him yet. And so Jesus has to prepare them for these things. And what he's preparing them for is that what has been with them in him is now going to be in them. He's just told them, the works that I do, will you do also? We talked about this last time. And greater works than I do. And we looked at some of the works that he did, and the works that he did were healing the sick, casting out demons. People could see the power and the authority of the kingdom of God through things he did. And he's, those things I did, you shall do also, and greater things. And then he explained to them how he did them. He didn't do them because he was the Son of God. He did them, it was my Father working in me and through me that did the works. And what he's preparing them for is what's about to happen is to qualify them so that same Father would now be in them and could do the same miracles through them that he did through the first Son. And you and I are part of that same family. So that's been what we were talking about. Jesus tells them that he's going to do the works and he said the Father will send to you this same Spirit as your helper. And the Greek word there is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete, which is a combination of two Greek words, para, which means alongside of, and kalio, which is to be called. So it refers to someone called alongside of you to help. And so he is the helper But Jesus said, He has already been with you, in me, but He's now going to be in you. And He's trying to get across to them that in you is better than with you. Because when Jesus sent them out, He wasn't with them anymore. But now wherever they went, He would be in them to go wherever they go. What that means is if He's in you, Wherever you go that God sends you, the kingdom of God is in you. The same power, the same authority that was in Christ is in you to help you and enable you to do what God's put in front of you to do, whether it's some global ministry or it's going across the street with a plate of cookies to talk to your neighbor. It's not your ability. It's Him living in you. And think about what he's capable of doing. I'm, I'm already off my notes. But I prayed I would do that. So let's go to John, John 16. We'll skip those, those that are running. We're going to skip John 14. We're going to go to John 16. And Jesus is continuing this. We're going to pick up now. This is new. We haven't covered this before. He said, these things I've spoken to you that while you, so that you may not, be, may not stumble. Let's go down to verse uh, 5. He's basically preparing them here again. But now I go away f- to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're afraid. They're sad. 
because he's, they don't understand what this means because they didn't understand the prophecy of the Old Testament that said what the Messiah was going to do. They believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to bring them the victory that is ultimately to come. But before the victory comes, some other major things have to happen. The Messiah was to come and suffer and die to pay for their sin, our sins. But they expected him to come and bring victory. And the most immediate victory they were expecting because they were under the dominion of Rome. Everywhere they went, in Jerusalem at least, there were Roman soldiers which were reminding them that they were not free. They were under the dominion of the power that controlled the, the world at that time and that was Rome. So their, believing, their belief was that this Messiah was going to kick Rome out and establish God's kingdom there. And this is now confusing to them. We're going to see that in a minute. They still don't get it. And so they're sorrow, they're, they're afraid, they're unsure what's happening. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. Isn't it interesting? Jesus has to tell them that he's telling them the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I'm sure that didn't compute. I mean, you're, you're right here with me. I can touch you. I can talk to you whenever I want. I have no trouble discerning what you're saying. I just have to make sure I'm listening. And as to my advantage that you're leaving, so there must be something Jesus knows that's beyond what they can understand at this point. And it's beyond what we can understand until we experience it. For if I do not go away, this helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. Go to the next verse. And when he comes, and he goes, we're going to go through this quickly, he will convict the world of sin. That's not your job. Your, not job is to go, your job is not to go to your boss and say, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. That's not your job. It's the holy, because they won't listen to you. Of righteousness is of judgment. Verse 9. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Notice that's the sin that condemns them. And you will see me, and you see me no more. Verse 11. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's Satan. Twelve. I still have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You can't handle it now. So we can only handle things to the extent that we're open. Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he says he will speak, he will tell you things to come. He will guide you into truth. Now let's talk about who this Holy Spirit is and what He's done because there's two major things that He was sent to do. It is the Holy Spirit, if you've received Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who birthed God's life into you. The kingdom of God came into you through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9. But you are, not of the, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit that's in you is alive because he's given you his righteousness. Ephesians 1.13. This verse helped me so much because when I first got saved... I've told you the story before. What happens after you have an experience is you begin to wonder, was that real? 
Was that the piece I ate? How do I know that I'm really saved? And I was reading through Ephesians every day uh, for a month at that time, and I hit this verse. In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, in whom you, having believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed means marked, branded. In the old days of the cattle drives, the, cattle, the cattlemen, the different ranchers, to bring their cattle up to the stockyards for safety reason, would combine them together. So they would all move together on whatever long that trail ride was. But when they got to the stockyards, they had to be able to separate out your cattle from my cattle. So the way they did that is before they mixed them together, they branded them. You've seen those stories, you know, like that on the, on the rear end of the, of, the, of, the, of the calf or the cow or the steer or whatever it was. And each rancher had a unique brand. And when they came to separate them out, the brand identified who that steer belonged to. The Holy Spirit in you, behind the curtain in the spirit realm, marks you as belonging as a child of God. So you may doubt whether you're a child of God, but if that spirit is living in you, Satan looks at you and he knows who you belong to. You've been marked, and what marks you is the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So he's the mark, he's the brand. 2 Corinthians 1.22 basically says the same thing. Don't bother to turn there. Basically says that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise. So the Holy Spirit in you is what causes you to be born again. God to come alive inside of you. And He becomes the source of that kingdom within you. And, and back when we were talking about pulling back the curtain, we talked about two examples from the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, where Jesus meets this woman by the well. And He says to her, if you know who, who it was that's talking to you, you would ask of Him, and He would give you living water that would become in you a fountain or a source of water lit, flowing up in you. And we talked about that referred to the Holy Spirit in you that became a source of that refreshment and satisfaction and life. And the purpose of the Spirit of God in you is for your benefit. It's for your benefit. And if you're a Christian this morning, He's in you and you're experiencing that in one level or another. But you're not just in here and He's not just in you so that you can enjoy the experience of Him in you. He has another purpose. Before we get to that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1.14. And the Spirit in you is not only the mark of God in you, but He's also the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of the glory of God. So His presence in you marks you as a child of God in the spirit realm belonging to God. But He's also something else. He's a guarantee of the inheritance that you have, of the future inheritance that you have. Well, let's talk for a minute about the word guarantee. The word, the Greek word there is arabon, A-A-R, it's actually H-A-R-R-A-B-O-N. And the word refers to a down payment. 
Now, if you've ever bought a, bought a car and you didn't pay cash for it, or you bought a house and you didn't pay cash for it, you had to put a down payment down. In fact, when you, I was, used to be a real estate lawyer. When you would enter into the contract, one of the things they required of you, because there were some conditions that had to be fulfilled, is you would give them a down payment. It's also called earnest money, or money to prove that you're earnest about completing the transaction. And the down payment, the earnest money, is always of the same product that the rest of it's going to be. So if you're paying money to buy a house and you put 10% down, it's 10% money. Not food, not cattle, not your dog, but it's money because the rest of it's going to be money, honey. So it's, the, it's a taste of what the rest of it's going to be. And it shows a commitment from the one who gave it that the rest of the promise is going to be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit in you, that God's put in you, is a down payment of the very same life that you're going to get the fullness of when this redemption is completed and we're called up or He comes down, whichever happens first. But there's another word that it's also translated at, and this gets even better. It also means engagement ring. So you get this couple, they're courting and they're in love with each other and they sit over dinner and they have Google eyes at each other and this is, you know, we did that. But then there comes a point when they need to, he needs to make a commitment to her. Well, he's already done that. He said, I love you. Well, most women have learned how easily those words flow out of a man's mouth. And so her attitude is, if you love me, let me see the commitment of that. Well, I really love you. Now, I want to see something tangible. So he goes out and buys an engagement ring. And that ring to the world is a sign that that woman has a man committed to her and she's made a commitment to him, but it's not finalized yet. So in the wedding ceremony, she takes the engagement ring off and now puts on the wedding band that is the fulfillment of the commitment and then, just because it's good bling, puts the engagement ring back on. The Holy Spirit in you is God's engagement ring to you. But it's more. There's more. And if I don't move along, we won't get to the more. Because we also used an example out of the Gospel of John of John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, I think it is, where Jesus stands up on the last day of the last feast and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. We talked all about that. And I will give him rivers of living water that shall flow from him. And it goes on to say, he spoke of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given to them. 
This refers to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because a river is very different than a fountain. You can go and live in the world with a fountain in you and nobody knows it except the smile on your face. But if your rivers of living water are flowing out of you, everyone around you is going to know it and we're going to see that more clearly next week. We're laying a foundation for something. So let's go to Luke chapter 24. Now Jesus has finished his discussion with them. He's now gone to the cross. He's left them. He's been crucified. He's been buried. And he's been raised from the dead on the third day. And he spent the next 40 days with them, off and on, preparing them. And so this is one of the last instructions he's giving them before he physically leaves them until he comes back again at some point. Luke 24, verse 49. So he's been raised from the dead and now he's meeting with them. Can you put that up there? I'll read it to you. It's real simple. Okay. Behold, I send... Remember he said, if if I don't go, the Father can't send. Now he's gone. He's paid the price. He's been raised from the dead. Behold, I now send the promise of my Father to you. This is what we've been talking about. But you've got to tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That word power, because oftentimes in the English New Testament, you'll see the word power used, but there's sometimes, there's two Greek words. There's a Greek word exousia, which, which means authority. But this is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. And it refers to the power of God, the ability of God. And I wish we could take time to kind of meditate together on what that is. Until you're endued, that word means clothed with. It's like before I came in here, I took this suit coat and I put, my, it, I put it on. I clothed myself with it. I got in it and it engulfed me. This is the same word that is used. This is the same word that's used in, in Luke. We're not going to, don't bother turning to it. The same word that's used in Luke when, when, when the Gabriel comes to Mary and says that the Messiah is going to be born through you. And she says, well, how can that be? I'm a virgin. I've not known a man. He says, don't worry. God's taking care of it because the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. He's going to cover you over and implant in you His seed. That's what that same word is. It's that same word. Endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1. This is where we really were just trying to get to. Same thing. He's been raised from the dead. This is his last meeting. He's been around them for about 40 days and now he's about to physically ascend into heaven and he, they will not see him again until he comes. They see him in heaven or they can, well, they've seen him. The former account I made, O Theopolis. If you go back to the beginning of the book of Luke, Luke the physician wrote that whole account to a man named Theophilus and now he's continuing that discussion. The former account which we have is the Gospel of Luke. I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Keep going. Until the day he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit he'd given commandments to the apostle whom he chose. And notice that even the commandment Jesus gave was through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. 
to whom he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Here's where we want to get to. And being assembled together, he encouraged them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now read what it says. It's not says that. He commanded them. Now isn't this interesting? If you read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, and what, how you hear it's taught so often, what's Jesus' Great Commission is, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is the same Jesus. It's before he says, go, he says, wait. You don't have enough to go. So you've got to wait until you have so much, something that you need. Because I know what you need, you don't. This is the head of the church. And yet what the church has done is we've been trying to go without having waited for what he said we have to wait for. Which is why we have to substitute programs, plans, all kinds of things to try to move people out to go. And they're fighting against their nature, their flesh, to try to get them to go. So preachers, Sunday after Sunday, try to make us feel guilty because we're not going. Then Jesus said, wait first. We're called to go. But you're missing something before you can go. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he says, you have already heard from me. That's what we've just been studying back in John 14, 15, and 16. For John truly baptized you with water. Now he's trying to explain to them that there's a baptism that's out to take place in order to understand baptism, which is great timing because we've just had a baptism service. He's explaining what you've seen John do is what God's about to do, but it's not with water. Because when you were baptized in water, you were immersed in it. And we talked about what the word baptized means last week and the week and the time before. It means literally be saturated with. So that, that what you're baptized into becomes part of you and you become part of it. I'm going to take a time to tell a little story. When I, when I was growing up, my stepfather was a lawyer. And, and he, one of the clients he had was a local bank. And back then, I don't know if banks still do this anymore, but the, for a while they did, they would give gifts away if you open a new account. And, and what they did is if you were a customer came in, they had a little thing they gave you. And my, grand, my stepfather would bring some of these home when he would go to a board meeting or something. And as kids, we loved it. Because, and, and this may be older than most of you, but it was this flat, hard thing that would have the name of the bank on it. But we knew what it was. It was a sponge. All the air had been pressed out of. It was all there. All the sponge was there. But it was hard and it was flat. And you couldn't use it for anything. Kind of like most Christians. Well, I, uh, not here. Not here. So we understood what you had to do to make this a functioning sponge is you had to baptize it in water. So we would fill the sink up and slowly 
watched this thing go down into the water. And as I got into the water, no more than that, as the water got into it, it would begin to swell up and it would become saturated with this water until we put it all the way down in. And then just for full effect, we'd squeeze it, all that water out and then wallet, and just let it go and soak that water back in so that when we brought it up out of the water, it was super saturated so that water was dripping out of it. We were five boys. I was the oldest. And you're holding this wet thing that's dripping and your brothers are around you. It's just too tempting to not just flick it around a little bit. Think of this image. Jesus is saying, you've got to wait because you're you don't have what you need. You, you have it, but you're not full of it. And he says, he's, and so he says, until you're baptized. And they had an image of what that meant. And what he's saying is, see, they were already born again. And he's still telling them to wait. Been baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's go on. Therefore, when they had come together, uh, stop there a second. Oh, yeah, they asked him, saying, Lord, uh, uh, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They still don't get it. They're expecting him to restore Israel and kick Rome out. They don't yet understand, but in another chapter, they're going to understand. Go on. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his authority. Oh, if, say this, if the church would just get a hold of that... <laughs> Every so often we hear this prophecy that this is the date Jesus is coming back. Well, you know they don't read their Bible because Jesus just said it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. In fact, elsewhere it says He doesn't know. So I doubt if Jesus doesn't know that you're somebody special that you're going to know. Now, we're to, we're to read the times. We're to, we're to sense, where, but not the dates which the Father has put by His own authority. Keep going. But you shall receive power. This is what they were lacking. They had the Holy Spirit. He was living in them or they wouldn't have been born again. But He said, you're lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's that same word as clothed. That's the same word as overshadowed. That Gabriel said what happened to Mary. And if I had spoken Greek back then, that would have been the same word I would have used when I dipped the sponge into the water. Saturated. You shall receive power. Whose power? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power by which Jesus did what He did. Oh, by the way, He had to go through this. Remember the story? It's in all the Gospels where Jesus at the appointed time comes up to the waters where John is baptizing and presents himself to be baptized and John recognizing who he is. Whoa! (laughs) I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus said, you must in order that the old covenant requirements be fulfilled. 
So his obedience. And when he comes up out of the water, the accounts say that the Holy Spirit came and physically descended on him like a dove. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's so significant because up until that time, although he was the Son of God and purely righteous, he performed no miracles. He performed no mighty deeds. He needed to have the power from on high. And as I told you last time, this is, he did this that way. He could have come as the second person of the Godhead through God created the universe and just commanded things and they were done. But it wouldn't have done us any good. And this is what religion done. It does. It looks at him as, well, he's the son of God. Of course he did these things. But who are we? We're just worms. And so we sit in church, sing our songs, hear nice homilies and stories, and then leave the same way we were. When there's a world out there that Christ wants to reach that can only be reached with the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice this, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Literally what that says is you shall be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't tell them to go witness. There's nothing wrong with that unless we don't do the first. He says, you shall be witnesses of me. Why? Because the same power that's going to have been in me to be a witness of my Father is now going to be in you to be a witness of me. To be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay. So I want to talk about one quick issue here because I'm, I'm going against some of the teaching that I've had but I think this is a different way of looking at it. Notice he says you shall wait in Jerusalem. He says that in two places. You shall wait in Jerusalem. And, and, and there, back in the great days of the, of, of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there were t- waiting sessions. They call them tarrying sessions. People just come and they sit and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come and some people tarried for years and years and years. And I've been taught, and I believe it's true, we don't need to tarry in that sense because the Spirit of God has come. He had not come to reside here, but He has now come to reside. But here's the thing I began to see as I was praying through this yesterday. Okay, if the Spirit has come to reside just as He did then, how come we don't see more? How come we don't see more power in the church? How come we don't see more power in our lives? How come we don't see the miracles? How come we don't see these demonstrations? How come we're not doing the works that Jesus did? And then the greater works. How come? But we, we accept that, well, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit 43 years ago. Spoken in tongues. We'll talk about that later on. So, how, how come? Where's the power? So maybe there is something to waiting. Maybe there's something missing. And it's not that we're not qualified. And what I began to see this as I was praying this through. Let's go on. Let's go. Um, yeah, being assembled together. He commanded them. Okay, you've heard of me. Go to the next verse that you have. John baptized. Don't keep going to the ones I gave you. Therefore, when they come together. So now what's happened is 
Now, I'll, let me tell you where we got to go to. I'm skipping something, that's why. Let's go to 12, verse 12. Acts 1, 12. What's happened while they're finding this, what's happened in the meantime, is Jesus physically ascended into heaven. And they've watched him come, and while they're standing there watching him go up, I guess we would too, an angel appears and says, How, what are you doing here? And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Look what they did. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the Zealot, and Simon, the Zealot, and Judas, and the son of James. Keep going. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They waited. Now, we don't need to have tarrying services for the Holy Spirit to come down because He's come down. But maybe we need to do something within us to prepare ourselves to receive what He wants to give us. So what was the attitude that they had while they were waiting? What was the attitude? Well, first of all, see, we've read the rest of... I hope you have. We've read the rest next chapter. We know what happens. We now know what they were waiting for All they've been told is you don't have what you need. You need power from on high. And this is kind of what I offer. But they didn't know what to experience. They didn't know what to expect. They had never heard of tongue. They didn't know any of that stuff. And that's an advantage they had. Because when you don't know what to expect, you're open to whatever God might want to do. And my, one of my prayers lately, I was even praying this during worship, is, God, I'm open. We must be open. I prayed this this morning at home. We must be open to let your spirit do what he wants to do. And let your spirit do the way he wants to do it. And we must learn to be followers who are open. And we're not talking about craziness, but sometimes a little craziness is better than a dried up sponge that's hard and can't perform its use and has to be softened up and filled up. So they had an attitude. They didn't know what was expect. So they were open. And there was an expectancy they had. Because Jesus had just said, the Father's promised to give you this and you need to wait because He's about to come. And they didn't know how long. They just did what they were told. So there's an attitude that comes with waiting that doesn't mean we've got to do this to pull the Spirit down, but maybe to put us in a position where we're open to receive what God wants to pour into us, both personally and as a congregation. They continued in prayer, seeking. And they did this together. This is something that they wanted to do together. And that doesn't mean to do this, we have to gather here all week together. 
because you can do that and not be together. What made them together is they had the same purpose and the same goal. What made them together is they had the same desire. And I believe what God's been doing or, or working to do through this whole series about pulling back the curtain is to whet our appetite, to create in us an expectancy and a hope. Because if you don't know something's out there, you won't begin to look for it and expect it and desire it. If you're willing to, if, if we just accept the way things always are, they'll always be this way, they're never going to change, then there's not an openness for God to do what He wants to do. But I want to ask this question. I'm going to ask you to answer me. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your relationship with God right now? Or do you believe there's more God has for you? Are you happy and satisfied with the way church is like? I'm not. And it's easy at this stage of my life to look back and say, well, I've been in the ministry a number of years, many years. I've been a Christian many years. I'm just going to sit back and just let God take over, people take over. I'm not satisfied. I'm hungrier than I've ever been before. Do you want to see God work through your hands? Because what's coming is not going to happen through the pulpit. It's going to happen out there going to happen on your job. It's going to happen in a restaurant. It's going to happen in your family. Think of what God's capable of doing. But He wants to do it through you. But you've got to have the power from on high. And if you're happy and content with what you have, you're not open to receive more because you've got to know you need the power. Do you ever feel ineffective in witnessing? The Lord showed me yesterday. He says, the reason you didn't say something in the situation is you don't know what to say. And you're a pastor. And I realized that's because I need something. I need something so that I don't have to think, but just let him flow out of me. Okay, we've got to bring, bring this to an end. Next week, we're going to look at what happened when they waited. It changed the world, and they had no great plan, no great program, I want to challenge you in this week in between who want this to spend some time this week waiting. And that can be in your car. You can be driving along. It's an attitude of your heart to just begin to talk to God. Even if I don't know what this means, but I'm available. I don't know what this means. Just be honest with Him. I'm willing. Because the Bible says God's at work in you both the will and to do His good pleasure. And we're going to believe that when we come together next week, that whatever it is God wants to do, He's going to do. We're going to put this into His hands. And I'm just going to close with this. I may start with this next week. Two stories I want to encourage you to read in Ezekiel 37 and Ezekiel 47. A number of years ago, we had a time of fasting and prayer, which we're going to do again. A time of fasting and prayer. And, 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 and in this and I don't know if it's the same period or, or it's two different periods, God brought me to these two stories, these prophecies. Ezekiel 37 is the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. God takes Ezekiel out there and he shows him a valley full of bones, not skeletons. Skeletons are bones that are connected together. These are just scattered bones. It speaks of disunity. And they're dried, dead bones. So there's no life in them. There's no hope. There's no help. There's no promise. And God speaks to the man 
and says, man of God, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, what are you asking me for? Only you know. And then he says, prophesy to these bones. And what happens is, is he prophesied the breath of God. We'll talk about this next week. And God breathed on these bones and they began to come together. And then they began to form muscle and tissue and skin. But they're now, so they're now alive, they're now together, but they're not alive. And he said, breathe on them again. And breath came into them and they stood up and became a mighty army. And that's the church. The church, by and large, is a bunch of scattered dead bones. They're here. They're in church as dead, scattered bones, division in the church. The left side of the church separated from the right side of the church. And I look at this sometimes like, God, can this ever change? Only you know. And what can change it is the same thing in that vision. And the other stories in Ezekiel 47, I get so excited when I see this because it's starting to happen. One of the visions God gave Ezekiel was he took him to the temple, the new temple that's going to be formed. And he showed him a river flowing out of that temple. And the river went out a ways. And they measured it, a thousand cubits. And it was ankle deep. And he measured it more, and it was knee deep. And they measured it more, and it became waist deep. And it went more, and it became so deep you couldn't stand in it. You got caught up in it, and all you could do is swim in it. And wherever it went it produced life. And then there were fishermen standing on the side with nets and it made the fish come alive and they would cast the nets into this river and draw in this nets. What did Jesus tell these fishermen? You come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is the vision God has for his church but it can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We bring ourselves to you as a church and we stand before you and we acknowledge and, rec- and, re- and, and, and recognize our ineffectiveness. We've not done what you put us here ultimately to do. And we need you to bring, breathe your life into our hearts. We need you to fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. For it's not in our strength, it's not in our wisdom, it's not in our programs, it's not in any special thing we do. It's only something you can do in us. So prepare our hearts together as a congregation, a community of believers here, and in our other churches that are around us. Prepare our hearts to see the need we have for the promise that Jesus made to his disciples of which we're some. Prepare our hearts in this week in between that we may be open and ready for whatever you choose to do. In Jesus' name.